Well, if you're new to the church, I'm Pastor Norm Oberlin, and uh, last night I was, I shouldn't do this. I get on Facebook, and I see a dozen of our people up in the UP, and I, I figure it out, they're not going to be here tomorrow. A couple of them told me, but the rest of them were sneaky about it. Maybe that's good. But how many aren't here today? Raise your hand. Jack, what's up with that? You're here, man. I always catch somebody. I do miss the people that aren't here, but I'd like to welcome you if you're a first-time visitor. Uh, also, I'd like to welcome all of you who have said, you know what, I'm not going camping on this weekend. I'm coming to church. Because you know where the, the filling is, don't you? You know where the good stuff comes from. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, Today, we are going to do the work of the Holy Spirit, part four, and I have no idea how many parts there are going to be to this thing, but you know the Holy Spirit is a big God, right? He has so much for you and me, and every time I try to develop a message, and I think I know where I'm going with it, he shipwrecks that, and he starts somewhere else, and that's what happened today. I was working on this, and, and it, I kind of knew where I was going, but then he, he, he points me to this, from underdog to mighty man. How many ever used to watch Underdog? You know, I can almost remember the song and sing it, but I won't. <laughs> How many of you were an underdog at some point in your life? You know, and wow, what's an underdog? Somebody that really, if, if, if you look at them, you don't give them a whole lot of hope, right? There's not a whole lot of prospect for them. They probably aren't going to do much in life. What's that? Black sheep. So, in this message, I, I just, as we prayed about it, or as I prayed about it, I just really felt like, you know what, I think I know somebody that was an underdog. And I'm going to go there. It actually has a little bit to do with battles. We're going to look at a battle today. But I wanted to start with 1 Samuel. And in, in chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, it, it actually just talks about how God told Samuel, stop whining about King Saul because I'm done with King Saul. And I want you to go find the next king for Israel. And then he told them how to do that. And of course, Samuel's thinking, all right, Lord, but if, if I go to find another king and King Saul's still in, he's still the king. What's going to happen when King Saul finds out about this? That His prophet, his man of God's going out there anointing somebody else. God said, don't worry about it. I got this. And he kind of gave him a way to get through it without it being so obvious. So in 1 Samuel 16, beginning with verse 11, we're going to pick up there. And, and we're here, how many have heard of Jesse? Right? Jesse had, okay, seven sons. The Lord told him, go. And have Jesse bring his sons before you. So Samuel told Jesse, bring your sons out. I want to see them. All seven paraded in front of him. Do you know seven, the number seven, represents what? Perfect number, fulfillment, all right? It's finished. Seven days in a week, right? Seven boys or young men Walked in front of him. Prophet got done looking at him and he, nope. God rejected every one of those seven. There was an eighth. Is there one more? He said. It's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's out in the field. In fact, let's pick up there. By the way, remember that number eight. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. 
We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, by the way, no doubt was this the beginning of the envy that his brothers had toward him. Samuel took the flask of olive oil that he had brought and he anointed David with the oil. Watch this. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So what we see here is God anointed David with his what? Spirit. Do you realize that that same Holy Spirit, his spirit is available to you and me today? The same spirit that Samuel anointed David with is available for you and me today. Can you say hallelujah and praise to Jesus? Because <laughs> it's Jesus that made this possible. That's good news, folks. That's good news. David was born around 1035 B.C. We don't know exactly, but this is an approximate, okay? Samuel then anointed him around 1025 B.C., which would make him about... No mathematicians. 1035 minus 1025 is... Thank you. That was pretty rough. Are there any 10-year-olds in here close to it? No? Right here? All right. So, would you mind standing up, just so we can see what a 10-year-old might look like? Turn around, face them. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry. Good job. Give her a hand. I'm sure you're a lot prettier than David was, too. All right. So, David is 10 years old when he gets anointed. And, and they didn't just come up and, and take a little bit of this and, you know, rub it on your forehead, either. He had a flask. That thing was full. He was like a greased pig when he got done. Everybody knew God had chosen David, including his brothers, his older brothers. Wow. You think, (laughs) 10 years old, goat herder, do you think God chose the least likely person to rule his kingdom? I would say, because everybody else was expecting somebody at least of a mature age. Nothing wrong with a 10-year-old, by the way. We, we like 10-year-olds. You know what this shows me? It proves that God is no respecter of persons. Listen to this. You don't need to be of royal blood to be used mightily of God. Can you say amen to that? You don't have to be middle-aged to be used of God. Can we say amen to that? And the young people in here today? (laughs) Yeah, we already know there are. God can and often does choose to use you young people in ways that he can't use us. And when he's finished, people go, that was God. There's no doubt, and he gets the glory. Some of you, you think, you know what? I'll never amount to anything. You're the underdog. You don't think much of yourself, but let me tell you this. When God is your God, when you are his son or daughter, you can do all things. There's nothing that's impossible for you. With man, it's impossible, but with God, All things are possible. So if you're one of those that would say, you know what, I'll never amount to anything. Anybody ever say that about themselves? I used to. More than once. I went through years of that. I was so disgusted with myself. I'll never amount to anything. Well, you know what, if David, if God can use David, a goat herder, a 10-year-old, then he can use you and me as well. So David was God's choice in so many ways. And how many remember last week, one of the things I shared, that scripture about Paul. Remember I said Paul had something going on, whether it was physical or mental, we don't know. Uh, A thorn, he said. 
And what did God say to him when Paul said, Lord, can you remove this thorn? He said, this is the NLT. My grace is all you need. My what? Power. My power works best in weakness. And this is what I feel kind of ties in with the title or the subtitle, and that is the underdog can become a mighty man or woman of God. As we're going to see. God took a boy, weak, and he used him mightily. In our weakness, or appeared weakness, God's strength becomes most visible. When you recognize it's not you, when others recognize it's not you, but it's the God in you, who gets the glory? He does. So whenever you're facing uncertain odds, and that, that's kind of a gambling term, but listen, life is not easy. Anybody here ever had a rough day? You ever feel like, man, I just felt like this all week. And, and, and this is behind me, not me doing it. Right? Getting kicked in the keister all week long. You know what? That's when God does his best work. <laughs> so don't let the odds against you defeat you or overcome you. You may have grown up in a poor family. Not everybody grows up in a millionaire or billionaire's home. And personally, I think they got it worse than we do anyway. Because they got to protect all that. And they're a target every day because of their money. But you and I, even though we may have, been grown, we may have grown up in a, a, a middle class or lower home, God can still do amazing things with us. Amazing things. You may have grown up with a handicap. You know, God can use that to bring Him glory and praise and honor. We see it over and over in the Scripture. Maybe you aren't the brightest bulb in the pack. I'm going to share with you that I'm not. Now, I don't want you running out of here going, oh, our pastor's a dummy. Maybe you already know that, but keep it to yourself. <laughs> I struggle with that every single day. You know what it says to me? When I get up here and somebody comes up after and says, good message, pastor. It says, God showed up. Because I know it wasn't me. I'm not smart enough. I give him all the glory. Anything intelligent that comes across to you is from him. I mean that. I'm not playing with you. And I'm not, this isn't a false humility either. It's just how I am. It's how I grew up. When I worked at General Motors in the engineering facility years ago, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a clue. I'd never worked on a motor before. And God gave me the insight to understand how to work on those motors. And he helped me find things that others missed. That's, that's all glory to him. I got credit for it. But I always told people, uh-uh, this is Jesus, man. It's not me. I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> you ought to be thankful I serve him, because otherwise this program would be in trouble. Stop saying I can't and start quoting one of my favorites. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Can you say that with me? For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Listen, if you're the underdog today, this should be your poster child right here. For I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4, 13. Remember the address. Last one, you are never too young. You're never too old. If you still have breath, God isn't finished with you. He's got a plan and a purpose. Something for you to do. You may not have the strength to go from here to here. 
But God can take you miles if it's needed. And you know that. You know that. Hallelujah. All of us are called to serve His kingdom. Serve well. So what was the most important thing for David to understand about all this? And this is the part that the Bible clearly identifies. Acts 13.22, it's actually found in 1 Samuel, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, read this part, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Can you say that with me again? I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I need him to do. This is the key to being a successful underdog who will become a mighty man or woman of God, and that is to have a heart that beats for the things of God. Saul, on the other hand, King Saul, he had ignored God's plan. He had stepped away from what the prophets had told him to do, the priests, and he began to do his own thing. And God said, I can't use you anymore. You're a lone ranger. Sure, you've got talent, you've got ability, you're good looking, you're tall, everybody likes you, you're charismatic, but I'm no longer going to bless you. I'm no longer going to keep my anointing on you. The anointing is key for the underdog. When you become anointed by God, what's that mean, by the way? Separated. We become separated for the things of God. When you become born again, you become separated for the things of God. In Peter it says, we become part of a holy priesthood. Are you with me? That means you're separated for Him. As you live this life, if you live it for anybody but Him, what would you call that? Sin, betrayal, futile. But when you begin to live your life for him, what's it mean? God is going to ramp it up, as we're going to see here in just a minute. God is going to ramp it up, and he's going to do amazing things on behalf of his chosen people. So what's the most important thing? That we have a heart for the things of God. All right? Earlier I spoke of the number eight. It's having significance in this story. How many sons did Jesse have? Eight. I thought that he had seven too because it made sense until I read it over again and I went, wait a minute. Yes, yeah, seven were paraded in front of uh, Samuel and then the prophet said, nope, none of these. God's rejected them. The eighth was David, the youngest. You know what the number eight is? It represents new beginnings. Woohoo! New beginnings. Jesus is associated with the number eight. Imagine that. New beginnings. Did you know that Jewish people were instructed to have their babies, the baby boys, circumcised when they were eight days old? It represented a new life for them in covenant with God. Eight days. Why? Because eight is a sign of rebirth. Romans 8, and I'm, I'm digressing a little bit just to show you this. Romans 8, 2, 28, 29. It speaks about true circumcision. That's why I pulled it in here. For you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, or some manuscripts say they receive praise from God, not from people. So again, a true Jew is a person whose heart is right with God, and That is a person whose heart is changed by the Spirit of God. So when we come to Christ, when we get our heart changed, who is the heart changer? The Holy Spirit. 
In our weakness, the Holy Spirit changes us for His good. And it is through His power that you and I are transformed. Would you agree with that? God takes our weakness, our flesh or our sin, and He replaces it with, inserts His strength or His Spirit, His holiness. When God looks at you, and I shared this a few weeks back, who does He see? He doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. You see, God's got us covered. That's why He loves us. Because Jesus covered our sin, and now we can go to Him guiltless, not under condemnation, because we are His through the blood of Christ. If you haven't, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And he will raise you to new life and to new heights. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Back to David. What became of him? The youngest of eight. A goat herder anointed to be the new king. And by the way, obviously he didn't become the new king right away. Okay? 1 Samuel 17. I believe that it is because the underdog, the weaker one, defeated the bully, the stronger one. That's why David is known still today. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of David and Goliath. Kids love it. And sometimes they get afraid because when you see the giant, you're like... (gasps) I tried to find photos of uh, Goliath, but I couldn't find any. So I had to use cartoons. You didn't get that, did you? David was the underdog at about 15. When I was 15, just coming of age, I thought I was a man. I had this dark stuff over my lip. I hadn't learned to shave yet. And I ran around thinking I was a man and talking like I was a man, but every now and then that squeaky thing would come out of my voice and let people know I wasn't a man yet. It's kind of funny, really. It's hard to sound tough. When you're yelling at somebody, why are you weak? <laughs> I was picturing David here doing this, you know. He's yelling at Goliath the giant as his voice squeaks off into the other direction. He's like, oh, thanks God. The one time I wanted to sound tough. But it wasn't about David, was it? First Samuel 17, we find King Saul and his army going up against their enemy, the Philistines, and their champion, Goliath. During the time of David, which was about 1020 B.C., right in there, armies fought different than they do today. Back then, they would line up on either side of a valley. In fact, I I had a a little picture. This is about where it was at. They would line up trying to get the advantage because the one that was higher would obviously have a better advantage as their enemy came in under them, shooting arrows and things at them, throwing rocks, gravity. So that's how they fought back then. Each side would get on one side or the other of the valley, and then they would start challenging one another, taunting one another. Your mother wears combat boots. You know, I remember as a kid, somebody made fun of my mom. Man, it just raised the shackles on the back of my neck. I was ready. Come on, man. You ain't, don't talk about my mom. They didn't even know my mom. But if they wanted to get under my skin, that's all they had to do was start bad-mouthing my mom. And I'm telling you what, I, I got pretty feisty. So here we see these two armies going at it. And, and what they tried to do was provoke the other side to run out and to run at them because, again, they're stationary. They're already set up. They're ready for battle. So if the other side has to come at them, they get the advantage. 
And it often meant the win. So they taunted each other. For 40 days, this went on. But you see, there was a big difference between Israel's army, King Saul's, and the Philistines. Philistines had a secret weapon. They had a giant. The Bible says he was nine foot tall. His chain mail alone weighed 125 pounds. The head of his spear was 15. You ever pick up a 15 pound weight? Imagine chucking that at somebody in the point. Whoo, that's going to hurt. The tactics of the Philistines was to put fear in the Israelites by placing this nine-foot champion at the front of the line where he challenged Saul's army. Let's read a little bit about this. 1 Samuel 17, 8-10. Choose your best soldier to come out and fight me. Goliath said, if he can kill me, our people will be your slaves. But if I kill him, your people will be our slaves. Here and now, I challenge Israel's whole army. Choose someone to fight me. What was the result? (laughs) Saul and his men heard what Goliath said, but they were so frightened of Goliath, they couldn't do a thing. They couldn't do a thing. They froze. How many know that's what Satan tries to do to us? He tries to get us to be so afraid that we become immobile. He puts fear in us to try to convince us that we're already defeated. Truth? Satan's already been defeated. Right? By the blood of the Lamb. But how many listen? Similar to King Saul's army. We let Satan get into our heads. We throw our hands up in the air and we say, I can't do it. We give up. Is this a, the vision of a godly man or woman? No. Was David all that? 15 years old. A goat herder. But he didn't allow the lie, the tactic that Satan was using, he didn't allow it to get in his heart. In the next few verses, we're going to see how David's oldest three brothers were a part of King Saul's army. Here's the thing I want you to see is they had gone out there to fight, but none of them had yet challenged Goliath. So that's where this is kind of set up. Then Jesse he, he tells his son, David, he says, listen, find somebody else to go watch your sheep. I'm going to give you some bread. I'm going to give you some cheese. I want you to run it up to the, the battlefield. And while you're there, check on your brothers for me. <laughs> How many know dads worry about their kids? Even adult kids, right? We worry about you guys. That was the case here. Jesse was worried about his sons. And when David arrived, he heard from the soldiers how desperate things had become, that Saul didn't know what to do. Forty days, they kept getting challenged out on the battlefield. Forty days, they listened to that mealy-mouthed giant picking on them, calling them everything in the book, cursing them in the name of his gods. Forty days of that. That's a long time. It happened so much that King Saul finally said, find me somebody, anybody that will challenge this monster. And I will give them the hand of one of my daughters. And I will make it so their family is tax exempt the rest of their life. How many know that? how cool that would be? Never having to pay taxes again. Hallelujah. Picking it up in verse 28, chapter 17. David's oldest brother, Eliab, 
He heard him talking with the soldiers. Eliab was angry at him, and he said, what are you doing here anyway? Who's taking care of that? Notice this little flock of sheep out in the desert. He's jabbing him. You're out there watching little, little flock of sheep. And what's he say? You spoiled brat. Does this sound like an older brother? Adam, you don't treat your brothers like this. No. Never. You came here just to watch the fighting, didn't you? Can you see the envy in this guy? He witnessed five years before this prophet Samuel anointing his little brother as king. It hasn't come to pass yet. But certainly in the back of his mind, he's thinking, why didn't he pick me? Because God uses the weak. His brother thought he was all that. Can you see that here? Listen to David's response. Now what have I done? David answered. Can I even ask a question? Then he turned and he asked another soldier the same thing he'd asked the others, and he got the same answer, that Saul was willing to pay if anyone would go challenge this guy. So when King Saul heard that someone, that anyone, was willing to challenge the giant, what do you think he did? Bring him to me. We finally got a sucker, I mean a, a victim, a, a, a brave soldier. Bring him to me. Who is this man? Well, king, he's not really a man. He's 15. He brought us cheese and bread, though, today. He wants to go fight the giant. What? A boy is going to go fight the giant. How cool is this, huh? God is setting this up. After seeing David, the king asked what made him think he could defeat the giant. In verse 32, this is David's reply. Your majesty, he said, this Philistine shouldn't turn us into cowards. Is this good advice or what? I'll go out and fight him myself. You don't have a chance against him, Saul replied. You're only a boy. There goes my voice. And he's been a soldier all his life. Sir, I've killed lions and bears that way. Sir, I have killed lions and bears that way. And I can kill this worthless Philistine. He shouldn't have made fun of the army of the living God. The only one that's got any kind of brass is a 15-year-old boy. The Lord has rescued me from the claws of lions and bears, and he will keep me safe from the hands of this Philistine. All right, Saul answered. Go ahead and fight him, and I hope the Lord will be with you. And some versions say, may the Lord be with you. He didn't care. He was just glad somebody was willing to step up. What's the king do then? If you know the story, he tries to put all his stuff on David. All his armor. Here, put the king's armor on. David tried it on. Guess what happened? It's too heavy. <coughs> Take it off. David was smart enough to recognize that he couldn't fight the enemy with somebody else's weapons. We need to realize that as well. Our weapons are not carnal. For the weapons of our warfare are not physical, weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrown destruction of strongholds. What stronghold are you facing today? Young David finds himself going to battle with what he knows, his sling and five smooth stones. Now, after what I just read in 2 Corinthians 10.4, is it the sling and the stones that he's really taking into battle? No, not at all. We're going to see that. Verse 41, Goliath came forward to David, walking behind the soldier who was carrying his shield. When Goliath saw that David was just a healthy, good-looking boy, he made fun of him. Do you think I'm a dog? Goliath asked, is that why you've come after me with a stick? 
he cursed David in the name of the Philistine gods, and he shouted, come on, when I'm finished with you, I'll feed you to the birds and the wild animals. Got the picture? David answered, you've come out to fight me with a sword and spear and a dagger, but I've come out to fight you in the name of the Lord, all-powerful. He is the God of Israel's army, and you have insulted him too. So what was David's weapon? God. <laughs> God. Hallelujah. Listen to what he says. Today the Lord will help me defeat you. The NLT says today the Lord will conquer you. I'll knock you down and cut off your head. I'll feed the bodies of the other Philistine soldiers to the birds and the wild animals. Then the whole world will know that Israel has a real God. Everybody here will see that the Lord doesn't need swords or spears to save his people. The Lord always wins his battles and he will help us defeat you. Again, the NLT says this is the Lord's battle. He will give you to us. What are you facing today? What giant are you facing where you have been humiliated? You have been brought to your knees. You have feared. You think it's any different than this 15-year-old boy standing in front of a giant screaming at him. Telling him he's going to feed him to the birds. <laughs> right. Let's see what happens. You know. I wouldn't be here if he didn't win. When Goliath started forward, David ran toward him. He put a rock in his sling. He swung the sling around by its straps. When he let go of the strap, the rock flew out and it hit Goliath on the forehead. It cracked his skull. He fell face down on the ground. David defeated Goliath with a sling and a rock. He killed him without even using a sword. David ran over and pulled out Goliath's sword. Then he used it to cut off the head of the giant. When the Philistines saw what had happened to their hero, they started running away. And of course, the Israelites pursued them killed them, and took the plunder. A boy with a sling and some rocks, the underdog, with the power of God Almighty, defeated a nine-foot, mealy-mouthed giant and routed their enemy. This might be news to you, a little fact here. Did you know there are four other giants that are mentioned in 2 Samuel 21-22 that were similar to Goliath? Go back and read that. Interestingly, they were all killed by normal people. The normal people that witnessed what David did with Goliath. What does that say to us? When somebody has the courage to stand up to their giant, it inspires others to do the same. God is looking for people, underdogs, men and women, boys and girls, who would be willing to face their challenges, their giants, in the spirit, in the power of God Almighty. To defeat those enemies, not so that you'll be, ooh, look at me, ooh. But so people will go, ooh, look at his God. Look at her God. What giant are you facing? School? Work? Maybe a promotion? A bully? Anybody ever have bullies? Man, I, I still remember high school. As a young man, I, I had my own job, paper out. I had my own money. I'm not proud of this. But I smoked. And in between on the breaks, I would go outside at high school 
ninth grade, and I'd have a cigarette. And one of these kids who was a year older than me, he'd come out, Overland, give me a cigarette. Every day. Maybe sometimes two, three times a day. I'm thinking, dude, I paid for these. And after, a, I put up with it for like three months thinking this guy's going to go away. And he didn't. Finally, I just said, you know what? Get your own cigarettes. He throws his jacket off. Come on, Oberlin, you're dead meat now. And I put my cigarette down, I took my jacket off, and we went at it. I'm not proud of this. I didn't realize that when I swung at him, I think it was the first time, I hit the brick wall. Man. So the principal comes out and breaks it up, and he's looking at both of us, and he's trying to figure out which one started the fight. And he's looking at me going, uh, do you need to go to the nurse? I'm like, huh? He goes, your hand. And I look, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I didn't realize I nailed the brick wall. Ouch. I didn't even feel it. The adrenaline was going so fast. And I, I got a couple in on him, too. I don't remember him hitting me. Maybe he did, but I didn't feel it. He never asked me for another cigarette. Oh, I shouldn't say that. He did. He asked me once, and he asked me politely, Hey, Oberlin, you think I could have a cigarette? Once after that. My point is, I put up with that for months. This guy barraging me with insults and, and taking all my, my, I, my hard earned, and listen, I'm not condoning smoking. Don't smoke. We know what it does to you, Right? And thankfully, I was delivered. When I came to Jesus, he delivered me. So I, I've been clean since I was 26, uh, without going into detail. But anyway, that's a long time. So, so I'm 60 now. So whatever that is, 40-some years, I've been not without one. So don't smoke. But I just brought this point up just to share that sometimes we have bullies in our lives. And they're put there... I believe, to determine who are we going to look to for our strength. You can look to yourself for the strength, or you can look to God Almighty. Maybe you need a promotion, and there's somebody that's better at it. Maybe your health sucks. Maybe God wants to do a healing in you, but the doctors are saying, you're going to die. That's a giant. You need to be like David. Face your giant. One of my favorite other passages is Romans 8.31b. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? It actually goes on to say, what can man do to us? As I begin to close, I wasn't sure how I was going to end this today. But I just wanted to plug in, how did David go from being the underdog to being the mighty man that God called him to be? First, we saw it. The Spirit of the Lord came on him. The same powerful Holy Spirit that is still available to us today. All right? Second, David knew he couldn't beat the giant with somebody else's weapons. He had to use what God had given him. What has God given us? The power of prayer. Prayer is a tool. It is a weapon that fights the spirit, the battle that's going on. There, there are two sides. The angels are over here and the demons over here. And in the middle, there's you and me. And they're catcalling back and forth, and they're trying to get us distracted so we take our eyes off of Jesus long enough for that fear to set in. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, if God is for me, who can be against me? For I can do all things through Christ who gives me my strength.
when we keep our eyes on Him, the enemy won't have the ability for his fear to get into our spirit where we become, I can't do it. I'm going to die. Did God say, the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective? Did he say, go to the elders of the church then, have them anoint you with oil, and the prayers of the sick will be answered. It's not easy to live for God. The third part of this, David realized he could have no fear. God is your vindicator. This is his battle. And last, God's enemies are your enemies. Your enemies are God's enemies. You're not in this alone. That Philistine giant, Goliath, was one of God's enemies. And David knew that. Cancer is one of God's enemies. So is alcoholism, drug addiction, pornography, and so on and so forth. These are all giants that need to be conquered. But if God is with you, hallelujah, would you stand? God used the weak thing to prove that he was almighty. And that's what he does with us. Whatever you're facing, whatever giant is looking you right in the face today, you know, if you're inclined, come up just to, just to face that giant. If you're inclined to come or whoever the giant is, whatever the giant is, just come up here right now. on this Memorial Sunday we acknowledge you you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords you rule over our lives we also recognize that Satan the devil has been defeated by the blood of the Lamb when you went to the cross when you died and they buried you he thought it was over <laughs> but three days later you came up out of that grave by the power of the Holy Spirit. You were resurrected from death. Reborn. And Lord, today, that same power that raised you from the dead is here for us to do battle with the enemy, whatever that might be, whatever giant we might be facing. In the story with David, it's a giant called Goliath, but in our lives it might be something completely different. Maybe it's a bully in our life. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's something completely different than that. You know, and you know these people. I pray, Lord, for a courage and a strength today that we've not had. I pray today that you would ignite something supernatural within us that would allow us to face off with that giant, whatever it is, whoever it is, and to say, in the name of Jesus, you are defeated. Satan, get behind me. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. Empower us, Lord, to do battle 
to be brave and not to give up. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. If you just give me a minute, I just felt I'm not pouring the whole flask over you. Lord, I'm anointing these people just as the prophet anointed David. Lord, I'm anointing these people in the name of Jesus. Spirit of the living God is all over these people today, Lord. Oh, Jesus, have your way. Empower them, Lord, for supernatural things. As they do battle, Lord, no weapon formed against them would prosper. They are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, their Lord. And Lord, we thank you that they're going to come back and they're going to give that testimony of how their giant was defeated in Jesus' name. Lift your hands up and receive it today in Jesus' name. Let the Holy Spirit pour himself into you today in Jesus' name. Spirit's heavy up here right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! Thank you, Lord. Hmm. Now, Lord, encourage everybody else that's still here in their seats. Help us all, Lord, to do battle for the kingdom. Not to let fear or any other kind of excuse keep us from doing our best for you. May we be seen as light bearers, people that carry the hope of God. And when we step out of this building today where the, where the real battle takes place, May we walk in the might and strength of our Lord. Fill us up afresh and anew, O oh God. Keep us safe. Keep us safe. We thank you for this message. Even after we go, Lord, may we be reminded of it, especially the parts that specifically pertain to us. We love you and we commit this people, Lord, your people, your hands in Jesus mighty name and everybody said amen God bless you have a great week in Jesus you're welcome to linger